I had an event where my email list went from 5,000 to 30,000 within a couple of weeks. All these events that kind of happened and I did things to make them happen, but I couldn't have predicted that they were going to happen. So I wondered to myself, how can you make black swans happen? They suffer from interacting with an issue that I call irrational rationality, which is the treating of absence of evidence as evidence of absence. It always really turned me off, the whole A-B testing obsession that there was in Silicon Valley. Well, yeah, if you can use machine learning to do that, well, that's even more reasons for you to try to ignore those activities and then look for the activities that are low investment, but uncertain outcome. That uncertain outcome may be a very positive outcome. Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. In this episode, I sit down with David Kadavi. He's a best selling author. He's written the book Designed for Hackers. He's also a fellow podcast hoster and runs the podcast Love Your Work. In this episode, we dive into a range of topics, so stay tuned. Hey, hacker. Sorry to interrupt this great podcast. It's David Smook, founder and CEO of Hacker Noon, and we're raising money for the first time, and we're doing it from the people. If you want to buy shares in Hacker Noon, visit HackerNoonShares.com. Help us make the best place for tech professionals to publish. Hey, David, tell us a bit about yourself and what you're working on. Hey, Trent. Thanks for having me on. My name is David Cadavy. I'm a dilettante. I do a lot of different things. Some of the audience might recognize my book, Design for Hackers that I wrote a while back. In the process of writing Design for Hackers, I found that not just telling people about the foundations of design, reverse engineering design, wasn't always enough. There were a lot of emotional barriers that people have to overcome. I've certainly had to overcome them myself to put anything out into the world. So I've been very interested in in that. How do people get their creative work out of themselves? My latest book is called The Heart to Start. It is all about getting over those mental barriers that get in the way of people following that all too common yet very flawed advice of just get started. And I'm also working on a lot of stuff on creative productivity. Awesome. And you're, you're being a little modest here. You're a best-selling author. You've got a podcast that's rather popular. Oh, that's uh, right. I have a podcast too. <laughs> yeah. You've got a pretty large following on Medium. You've got a pretty successful career here in content creation and content development. And you've interviewed some amazing people in the tech industry and entrepreneurs from around the world as well. Yeah. Just recently had my second episode with Jason Fried, who I'm sure a, a lot of the listeners are familiar with. I've talked to Seth Godin, Steve Case, former former AOL CEO who, as far as I'm concerned, invented the internet. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's been really fantastic to talk to people on my podcast. Love your work as well. And and you've got a really unique approach. I definitely listened to a couple of your episodes. I definitely got a feel for your style and you've, you've really honed in and kind of developed a professional style here of how you do your podcast. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I started my podcast because the podcast that I wanted to listen to wasn't out there. I started listening to 
podcast way back in, I don't know, 2003, 2004, and thought about starting one then, which I would have. I procrastinated. I didn't have the heart to start. But then eventually, you know, Tim Ferriss' show came out. I enjoyed that a lot. I still do. And James Altucher's show as well. But as much as I was listening to those shows, I was really looking for something in between. You know, Tim Ferriss is very much top performers. James Altucher is peak performance. I wanted something that was a little, not quite so overachieving, I guess. Not to like denigrate those shows. I love those shows, but just something a little bit more subtle, something that looks inside of the motions and the mental tools that somebody uses to get past the barriers that they run across in doing their work. That's been kind of like the main theme, I think, mm-hmm. but I've been in- interviewing a lot of creators who really have their own way of doing things that have found this completely original way of doing things. It's been a fantastic journey for me to be able to talk to these people and I've learned so much talking to them and it's made me so much better at my own work doing it. So it's great to be able to do this show. I think of it more as trying to help people with creative entrepreneurship, not just entrepreneurship, but entrepreneurship is kind of an art form where you're taking your unique experiences, your unique curiosities and interests it might be part of your emotional journey as well. And you're taking all those things and mixing them up into this thing that you can put out into the world that does something for other people. And I love that you kind of take the time to really articulate everything in your writing, in your podcast episodes, you really put the effort and the energy into making sure that you're defining your terms, you're really explaining things to people, you put that extra effort in to really get things across. And we'll dive a little later into that because that even had some personal implications in my own life. One of the other cool things that I really love that you're doing now is you're actually doing more of an essay style format and you're reading some of your articles that you've written and actually publishing them as podcast episodes. And the reason that you actually ended up on this show is you were tweeting about how those essay episodes are actually becoming more popular than some of your interviews. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I view everything that I create as a learning process. I'm not putting something out in the world and saying, oh, I know exactly, this is exactly the thing that I was picturing and here it is. It's more of, I did some exploration. This is what I learned and now I want to share that with you. As I'm having all these conversations, my podcast, I'm also in parallel writing a lot on Medium. And it's not that I am intentionally writing about the things that I learn in my conversations on the podcast, but just naturally, a lot of the things that I learn in my conversations in the podcast end up having parallels to the things that I end up writing in my everyday thought experimentation writing on Medium. What I do is I do write on Medium and then the articles that are not necessarily the most popular, but at least ones that I think are important I will read those on the show. And like you said, it's been interesting to see that those episodes are actually becoming more popular than my interviews, just very slightly. Like I used to have to charge a little bit less for those episodes for like sponsors, for example, because they had like a, a fewer downloads and now they're a little bit higher than the interview episodes. And so that's been wonderful. I like to think of it as a sign that I'm learning enough about the world and the way the world works through my conversations and through all that writing that it's starting to gel and I'm starting to make some sense and Mm. that it's hopefully resonating with some people and helping them think differently about their world and their journeys as creative entrepreneurs. And you published a episode recently about black swans. Can you kind of dive in and explain what is a black swan and what is a black swan moment and what does that mean to you and why should people listen to that episode? So I'm sure a lot of the listeners are familiar with the work of Nassim Taleb and he's written the Incerto series, Fooled by Randomness, Anti-Fragile, and another book called called Black Swan. And and the idea of a black swan is is these events that there's no way to really foresee that they're going to happen. And then after the fact, people tend to try to rationalize 
how they happened, which actually makes my article kind of ironic. So for example, 9-11 would be a black swan that once that event happens, you didn't really see it coming. I mean, maybe you saw certain elements of it coming, but you didn't, you couldn't have predicted that it was going to happen. And then once it happens, it's this huge freak event that is completely erases everything that came before. And Mm -hmm. you from then on refer to it as pre this post this. Uh, Another good example would be like a turkey. If you ask a turkey to talk about his well-being, then he'll say, well, I get fed every day by the humans. Life is good. I'm going to draw a graph that goes up and to the right, that every day my life gets better and better because I continue to eat. These these humans are nice, etc. And then Thanksgiving comes and the turkey gets killed. And so the turkey was misinterpreting the evidence. The turkey was basing his future predictions upon past data and uh, this unforeseen event happens. Now, those are a couple of negative examples, but I think that there's a lot of, there's positive examples that happen too. And I think that anybody who runs a business has had black swan events happen where all of a sudden they're, they're like plodding along, they are moving forward, they're wondering when things are going to grow. And then all of a sudden something happens and boom, it just, their growth skyrockets and they kind of sit and wonder, well, wait, how did that happen? Like I couldn't just make that happen. And so one thing that I've noticed, I've had a few different black swan events in my business. One was, well, getting my book deal for Design for Hackers was a black swan event. I had an event where my email list went from 5,000 to like 30,000 within a couple weeks just from one promotion. I recently had my book endorsed by Seth Godin. So these are all these events that just, they kind of happened and I did things to make them happen, but I couldn't have predicted that they were going to happen. So I wonder to myself, well, how can you make black swans happen more often? Mm. Which, like I said, is a little bit ironic because they're supposed to be difficult to predict. I don't think that you can follow certain steps and a black swan is going to happen. But I do think that there are principles that you can follow that can increase your chances of a black swan happening, such as there are some activities through which you're pretty sure there's not going to be a black swan. Mm -hmm. You can sit and A-B test your landing page all day long, or you can sit and tweak your Facebook ads all day long, and you're probably not going to have this sudden event come from that. I mean, I guess I could be wrong. I don't know that much about Facebook ads, but you're not going to have this sudden event. 10-20% increase, you know, maybe. Yeah, Yeah, maybe you get like a little bit of increase, but you're not going to get this zero to one to quote Peter Thiel. You're not going to get this zero to one event happening where all of a sudden like, oh, well, that just completely changed my business. Now everything is pre this and post this. But there are events that you can take where you do something and you're not really sure if it's going to work and you can make these small investments. And sometimes you have these things that you can try and you're not really sure, uh, maybe this will work. Like me sending my book to Seth Godin. Like, well, is Seth Godin going to endorse my book? Ah, Probably not. He probably gets a ton of books. Why why even bother, right? So Mm -hmm. you make these small investments and they have very low downside, but there is potential for extremely high upside. So if you can, one, ignore these non-Black Swan contributing events, or at least reduce them, and then two, open yourself up to these activities that don't take very much investment, but that have a huge potential upside, then you can be okay. And I think it's like lottery tickets. You know, I've, I've heard you obviously can't win the lottery without buying a lottery ticket, mm-hmm. but I've heard that you can buy one lottery ticket and you'll have some very small chance of winning the lottery. You can buy a bunch of lottery tickets and your chances actually haven't improved that much. And so it's it's buying lottery tickets in a lot of different lotteries instead of buying a lot of lottery tickets in one particular lottery. So finding these little activities that you can do that have potential to have some upside. I think that it also ties into this concept that you sometimes hear about people saying no to things and that as you get more and more successful, this is something that I know that I've experienced myself. As you get more and more successful, you, you start to get these opportunities that you have to say no to because there's some other opportunity that clearly has a higher payoff to it. Well, that can 
bite you because you can then go for all the sure bets, all the things that you know are going to pay off. And then you're closing yourself off to the things that you're not sure what the outcome is. And so therefore your brain shuts down and you, you just say no. And I actually heard Dan Ariely uh, mention this on a podcast that he has to say no to a lot of things, but he also says yes to some small percentage of things that there's no good reason for him to do. And so that opens you up to these unexpected opportunities, opens you up to these black swans. So that's kind of the gist of it. Hey, oh, you got a great tech story you want to get published? Maybe something about bots taking over Twitter or how Bitcoin actually works? Or maybe you just have a story about how to build a great software, a great team. Get your expertise published on Hacker Noon. Email us stories at hackernoon.com and a real human will review your submission. And I've had multiple black swan moments in my life as well. I had a medium post that I wrote the night Donald Trump got elected. I was like, you know what? I have so many emotions, so many feelings about this. Like, so I wrote an article called Dear Democrats and explained how and why Trump won and published it the night he won. So Medium featured it for like three days, like 9 million people read it. It went totally viral. 9 million? 9 million, yeah. Wow. So that was a black swan moment. There's nothing I can do to ever recreate that moment again. And had that article been published maybe 48 hours later, it wouldn't have gone viral. Had it been published- This idea that you can't recreate that moment, though, if you could abstract it a little bit, are there any things that you think that you would find that you were doing differently at that moment than you do in your everyday life? So there's a couple theories there. So one, I think there's a technical component to this. I got past the filters. Everyone was in shock in that moment. Uh, There was no one at the helm to go on Facebook or go onto these platforms and censor this article. So for whatever reason... I was able to slip under the radar. So I think that was a factor. From a personal aspect, it was very raw. It was very direct. I didn't have time to edit it because in that situation, I wrote it, did a couple read-throughs, and I just hit publish. You know, there was more emotion in it that I usually edit out. So that yeah. may have been a factor. Also, there was no reason for you to write it, right? There was like there wasn't <laughs> like a, a goal that you had in mind. You know, I got a lot of shit from people, basically. And I'm not even a Trump supporter. I voted for Jill Stein. It, I saw that he was kind of having his own black swan moment. And I mean, that was a total black swan moment. I mean, take, for example, that what were what were the polls saying? You know, the polls were like, oh, there's like a 3% chance Trump's going to win or something. I don't remember the exact numbers, but 3% is more than zero. Okay. Yeah. The same applies to many things that you can choose to do or not do, such as writing this article. Like, what's the, what are the chances this silly article I'm writing are going to go viral? It might be a small chance, but the small chance may have a tremendous effect. Anyway, you know, Donald Trump getting elected was a black swan moment. Uh, me publishing this article and having it go viral was a black swan moment. It's um, a black swan on a black swan, like a black swan. Black swan moments are probably a great time to have to have a black swan moment of your own. Correct. How do you how do you make it happen? That's that's I mean, nobody knows that for sure. There's this NPC meme that's like going around the Internet and that is kind of it's having its own black swan moment where like there's articles in the New York Times right now where they're having to write an article explaining to like the older generation what an NPC is, which is like a non-player character. Because mm-hmm. you know, if you're like 65 years old, you don't know what an NPC is. 
this NPC meme seems like something like really odd. Well, it ties into a concept that I wrote about in my latest book, The Hard to Start, called The Voice. And the, the concept behind The Voice, it's a little bit borrowed from Seth Godin in his book, Unleashing the Idea Virus. He talks about vacuums. Okay, yeah. so the vacuum is basically the space between, and this is my own t- interpretation of it, but like the space between the status quo and the true thoughts and desires of the general population or of the collective consciousness, right? There's how things are, and then there's this lag between that and what people are actually thinking or they actually want. You can imagine how if those are two forces that separate from one another that, that can create a vacuum. If you puncture the vacuum, then that makes it either go viral, you know, or that tension releases. And when that tension releases, that causes something to spread. And the source of that is your own thoughts, is that we're always having these little thoughts that come in and out of our heads and then we just ignore them often because we're programmed to not want to stand out or we're just not in touch with it. We're not doing the creative practice of getting in touch with that and exploring those thoughts from time to time. What happens when you go see like a a comedian who tells this fantastic joke, you say, oh my gosh, like I thought that so many times I just never put it into words. That's why a song becomes a hit. That's why a movie touches people because it gives voice to things that they have already thought and experienced. And so that's actually, I think, a great source of black swan type material is really to just be in touch with what's going on in your head. You just told the objective, I haven't read your article, but I assume you just told the objective truth about this thing without much concern about what people were going to think about you based upon that. And it did hurt your relationships in some way, but that's what resonates with people because we want somebody to get up there and say the thing that we're thinking. There's actually been analysis on this and a lot of has to do with emotion. And actually the emotion that a lot of people resonate with is anger. Yeah, I'm somebody who I really steer clear of anger, I guess. Uh, Just in in my general day-to-day life, I try not to be try not to be angry. uh, And I also try not to use it uh, in my own writing. I try to play the long game, I guess. Um, But yeah, I'm always definitely thinking about what is the status quo thought that people have in their minds that has been programmed into them? And then what do they really feel about stuff? And I try to try to give voice to that as much as I could, not always on like the juiciest or most controversial topics, but that's something that I'm always searching for. Hey, hackers. Do you have a timely tech story you want to get published? Maybe you recognize the way certain systems trend, affecting our everyday lives, or have a vision of the future for the blockchain technology. Maybe you're on the field of play and know what it takes to make a great team, or how to remain agile in today's competitive, tech-rich environment. Share your expertise with the community at large on Hacker Noon. Email us, stories at hackernoon.com, and a real human will review your submission. One of the things I appreciate about your writing, how I actually first came to reading your work was I was dealing with a number of health issues and I came across one of your articles where you were talking about how you suspected you had Lyme disease and what you were going through physically. And that gave me kind of an oh shit moment where I read your article and I was like, okay, I'm experiencing exactly the same thing. And like, I seriously need to investigate this. So that led me on this journey over the last year, year and a half now, where I've now officially gotten a Lyme disease diagnosis myself. Mm. I potentially have some co-infections, possibly a Bartonella. And then I also figured out that I'm dealing with mercury as well as some aluminum poisoning. You yourself have also been dealing with a number of health issues that are very similar to my own. Had I not read your article, I may not have given me that kind of moment because 
you know, mm-hmm. you had articulated what you had gone through so clearly that I was able to identify it and say, someone else is experiencing what I'm experiencing. And then now here I am a year and a half later talking to you on this podcast. And I recently just published, you know, my own series about my own health issues with the intention of, can I help other people and have that same kind of moment that you helped me have being honest, being direct, being objective and talking about, you know, the things that we're experiencing and then putting that out there in a way that's original and authentic helps people connect and helps people going through something like figuring out, hey, maybe I have, you know, this disease or this condition or whatever. So can you talk a little bit about what you've been going through health-wise? And Actually, I would first love to talk about how what we have been talking about so far ties into all of this. And that being that I didn't really realize at the time, I had never read any of Taleb's books at the time, but it was an anti-fragile black swan producing thing to write openly about my struggles. And in part because there's this thing in society, and I want to preface anything that we say before with this as well, because I know it's a hacker podcast. There's lots of engineers, lots of very rational people. You know, They want to see studies that say exactly that this thing is happening or that thing is happening. And the things that we're about to talk about, such as Lyme or mercury exposure, especially from metal fillings, these are... They suffer from interacting with an issue that I call irrational rationality, which is the treating of absence of evidence as evidence of absence to steal something from Taleb. And it's that there are these complex areas where there are multiple systems interacting with each other that makes it very difficult to have scientific findings around things. I mean, just for example, there's apparently a crisis in medicine now where it's difficult to find an effect with drugs because of the way that studies are conducted, which is that it has to show an effect across the population. So you might have a treatment that doesn't show an effect across the population, but it turns out there's a couple people in there that this thing really helped. And they say like, well, I can't have this drug. It's not approved. That really helped me. I can't... We all have different DNA. We all have different genetics. And so there are these things such as Lyme or mercury from dental fillings where maybe across the population, they haven't been able to find certain things. But when it comes to you, correlation is more important than causation in a way. And that if you try something and it works or doesn't work, and then you stop and you repeat that process, then you can start to find things. And I will also say that because of the complexity of some of these things, because of the unfalsifiable nature of some claims that are made in these in these arenas, they're also ripe to attract charlatanism. Mm-hmm. And so that has an effect then of giving those things a stigma where anybody who thinks of themselves as somebody who appreciates rationality just kind of shuts off and says, those people are crazy. There's this, that, and the other thing, which is, it's weird that I'm even saying this because there actually is science to support, for example, that metal fillings cause health problems. There's a great document from the Swedish government from about 2002 or so, just totally outlining like, yes, mercury does get released from metal fillings. Yes, some people are more sensitive to it than others, etc. So it's laying out the entire case. So it's really strange when you see this resistance from people sometimes. The argument that I bought for the longest time was, oh, mercury is in metal fillings the same way chlorine is in table salt because chlorine is sodium chloride. It is a chemical bond. And so it's not going to make you sick. Well, 
I don't know everything about it. Somebody who knows more about chemistry than me told me about this idea that mercury is actually a very volatile element and does not like to be in chemical bonds. And so that's why you do have the issue with it being off gas from metal fillings. It's very clear from the studies that if you give somebody a chelating agent, that they will have higher levels of mercury in their blood after the agent because they have metal fillings. And it's a double-edged sword too, because what a spirochete is, is it's a bacterium. People think it's like this, oh, it's just a bacterial infection you can just do a round of antibiotics, but it doesn't work that way. It's got unique properties where it forms something what's called a biofilm where it can actually form like a protective layer that protects mm -hmm. it from the immune system. And this has been researched. This is provable. It's, it's not that crazy. Other bacteria, other substances can form biofilms. This isn't something new. You have to break up biofilms if you're treating Lyme. If you do not treat the biofilms and you're just treating the active infection, the biofilm can contain what's called a persister cell. And those persister cells contain the DNA that enables the spirochetes to be able to re-replicate and repopulate post-antibiotic treatment. So we know how it works. The science is very simple. It's been studied. Yet the medical industry, the Rockefeller style Western medicine does not recognize chronic Lyme disease. Even though we know what the scientific evidence says, that's what Lyme disease is. It's a superbug that can become antibiotic resistant infection that's hard to kill that can evade the immune system. And when you have heavy metals or you have anything else that weakens your immune system, then it enables Lyme and its co-infections to kind of root in and really do the most damage. There's a correlation between heavy metal poisoning and Lyme. And then Lyme also messes up the body's ability to detox, which for like me personally, I did uh, DNA analysis and found out I had a MTHFR mutation, which... Sure reduces some of the enzymes that my body produces to be able to detox things properly. So you throw mercury and aluminum and Lyme disease and Bartonella into the mix, and now I'm a cocktail for you know a suppressed immune system. And it's all these little different things that kind of had to happen for me to get these symptoms. And we're not used to looking at these things as a whole. Yeah, and sometimes you have institutional inertia, like the FDA saying, oh, you know, there's only been 100 cases of people being sensitive to their metal fillings. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> now we've got that out of the way. And now that I'm going to get a ton of emails about how I'm an idiot, uh, and then I'm crazy, and I'm wearing a tinfoil hat. As far as like writing about what I was going through and putting that out in the world, it's just really a last resort thing. And it is one of these things that I felt driven to do. I didn't seek to gain anything from it. And I haven't gained anything like monetarily from it. What I have gained is, you know, like, I guess it helps you. That's great. And I try to be as balanced as I can and just like not make any claims that I don't know for sure and be very clear about that. I think maybe this, but I don't know, et cetera, et cetera, as much as I can try to be as responsible as I can with that stuff and just put the experience out in the world. So hopefully it's been helpful for you. I know we connected over it. I think I got some helpful stuff from you. And then it was actually through that post that a reader, well, I had one reader tell me about, I guess it was histamine sensitivity. I messed with that for a bit and that was helping me out following a, a low histamine diet. And then I finally had one reach out to me and then ask me about metal fillings. And you know, it was one of these things that I had looked it up a couple times online, you know, saw the quack watch report or whatever, and just thought, oh uh, yeah, I guess not. You know, I guess it couldn't, it, I guess it couldn't be that. But then I was just to the point 
point where, you know, I wasn't suicidal, but I didn't want to live. I do not want to live if it's going to be like this. And so what do I have to lose by trying this thing? It is a an asymmetric sort of investment. I'll have to go to the dentist a few times to get my feelings changed. It'll cost me some money. Uh, it'll be inconvenient. But at the end, I can know whether or not this thing works. And if it doesn't work, then I have to look somewhere else. But I tried it and it definitely worked. I was definitely very sensitive to the metals because when I tried to remove two fillings at once, I got very, very sick from that. And then as I was removing one by one, I had different things like muscles that were twitching as they were releasing. And then when I finally got the fillings out for good, that night I could hardly sleep because my heart was pounding so hard. My body was just completely bouncing back. Every breath that I took just felt like it was full of more oxygen than, than any breath I had ever taken before. You know, I had had these fillings for my entire life. Now, of course, that's not the end of it because I've been breathing in mercury vapor for 25 years. So now I'm on this very, very long process of trying to get those metals out. But improving more and more all the time. People can look at my income reports on academy.net. And I keep on saying in those income reports, mark my words, you're going to see this income go up and up because I'm able to think on a more of a an executive level where I can create systems in my business. And just not being on so much of a fight or flight reaction in my body all the time. I mean, I still am to some extent. It's amazing how much easier I am able to think long-term each day, especially when I'm feeling really good, which is only sometimes those days feel like I have all the time in the world. It's just an amazing sensation. And so that's what I keep on seeking. I don't know what to say really beyond all that. You know, I've had exactly the same experience. I get days where I'm so clear, I'm so productive and I can get all these things done. And then I have days where like, can I get out of bed today? What's tricky is that a lot of people listening know exactly how that feels and they still might not have a health problem. For me, it's when things are really hitting, I suddenly feel normal and normal people make sense to me. For me, it's like, that's how people like live with their partners and have children and go to a job in an office. Like These are all things that are just out of the question for me, given my energy level and my mental functioning. I've got to be in this controlled environment. I've got my podcast studio here. I go to my desk and I write and I've got to take a nap here and there. And I've got to have this perfect diet that's difficult to get when I travel, etc. So it's just, it's a whole other level of complexity you know, preparation and planning that goes into everything to having to bring food with you. I mean, yes. I don't eat food if I don't know, if I can't identify it, I don't eat it. It's a blessing in some ways. It reminds me of Ari Mizell as somebody who had ulcerative colitis, right? And so he had to do a, set up a bunch of systems to get himself better. And so now he's this productivity guru who has written a lot of stuff that's been helpful for me. And I find it, it makes me more organized. I've also noticed that like when I'm in Starbucks or something and I see the case full of pastries and I realize that I'm, I don't even notice them because I can't eat that. I realize, wow, it must be really tough to be a normal person that can <laughs> eat this because then you've got to decide all the time whether you're going to just grab this bear claw or not. In that way, it's a blessing. So do you have a time in your life where you've had to hack something? You've written a book on design for hackers. What's something mm -hmm. that you've had to hack? I'd say I'd ha um, my whole life is a hack. I mean, not that I'm a hack or maybe some people <laughs> think that, but I, I live in Colombia, just as one example. 
And, uh, you know, so I'm doing the whole geographic arbitrage thing, but I have a different kind of approach to geographic arbitrage than I tend to see a lot of times. I think a lot of people want to do geographic arbitrage so they can make a small amount of money, work four hours a week, spend the rest of their day taking tango lessons, et cetera, which is great. It's fun. Like I've had those times in my life, but I did it more of, I wanted to double down on writing. I wanted to really double down on having conversations on my podcast, reading books, talking to authors, thinking about things and sharing what I've learned along the way. And so I've use geographic arbitrage as a way to get closer and closer to the things that I am passionate about and that I enjoy. I think going and living in another country is a great hack. And along with it, you get to learn a new language that's helpful from a work standpoint because it helps you disconnect from your creative work, etc. I'd say that living down here in Colombia is just one example of a hack that I've done. And uh, final thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, sure. On this black swan theme, I, for the longest time, was when I first came out with my book, Design for Hackers, I get a lot of people asking me about, you know, what color should I make my button on this? And they're A-B testing the stuff. And it, it always really turned me off, the whole A-B testing obsession that there was in Silicon Valley. I don't think it's quite as intense as it was, or people thought that they could A-B test their way to some great learning. So <laughs> some great insight. Well, yeah, you can use, yeah, use machine learning. So, um, well, yeah, if you can use machine learning to do that, well, that's even more reasons for you to try to ignore those activities and then look for the activities that are uh, low investment, but uncertain outcome. Mm-hmm. And because that uncertain outcome may be a positive outcome. Awesome. And where can people find you? People can find me at uh, my podcast. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably listen to podcasts. So go search for Love Your Work and you will find me. I'm David Cadavy, and I've got conversations with Seth Godin and James Altucher and Dan Ariely, tons of great creators, chefs, dancers, etc. Also, Cadavy.net is my general blog. You can find income reports, my podcasts, and uh, links to my books. And then also, I'm very active on Twitter at Cadavy. And you also have a Medium account as well. That's right. Yes, I do write on Medium as well. I, that's also at Cadavy. You can find me there. We're going to have to get you on Hacker Noon and get you contributing on that as well. So it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you for coming on. This was an amazing episode. And personal thank you as well for you know writing the health post that you wrote because you know it had a big impact on my life. And I truly appreciate it. Great. I, I, that means so much because I'm sure you, you can imagine like to put a post out there like that with so much detail is like you you really feel vulnerable in the moment, but it's wonderful to know that it can actually help somebody. Well, thank you again. This concludes another episode of the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube and follow us on social media. You can also find us at hackernoon.com and podcast.hackernoon.com for more episodes. Thank you for listening.